Are you going to make me talk about me calling my wedding off? Of course. <laughs> okay. The people want to know. Okay. Okay. Welcome to the Finding Balance podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Adrian Mesa. Recently, I had the pleasure of sitting down with Andrea Rostegui, a wedding photographer, a creator, and a DIY extraordinaire. She also has her own podcast with her friend, Nebraska, called the Breaking Bread Podcast, and I definitely recommend that you check it out. From capturing weddings with her camera to escaping her own wedding day, we covered it all. Thank you again, Andrea, for your time, your vulnerability, and I hope you guys enjoy. Okay, so what is the flow of this conversation going to be like? You'll I feel see. like I'm interviewing ah. you now. <laughs> This is a hey. This is a back and forth conversation. So okay. I don't need to have like this. Doesn't need to be like an interview. Like let me grill. Yeah, not like a first date where let like the guy's Andrea. got this like list and he's like. I, I mean, I have a list. One. I have a list of <laughs> things. I don't. I don't know. I don't like it to look like an interview. Like what the heck? <laughs> no, I think it's just a conversation. But I have different topics that I was like. These are things that we can talk about. A hundred percent. Okay. Yes. <laughs> Are you going to make me talk about me calling my wedding off? Of course. <laughs> okay. The people want to know. Okay. Okay. I have sound effects here. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, are we recording already? Uh, we're, we're going. That's oh, awesome. all right. Good. All right. Good. Uh, awesome. Okay. So, Andrea, if you want, just introduce yourself. I know that you said you were born. Um, you said you were born in Honduras, but yeah. then your parents are Nicaraguans. Yeah. All right. And then you moved to the USA at what age? At six months. So I'm technically Miami yeah, all the way. You're 100% Miami. <laughs> yeah. Okay, cool. And wh what part of Miami did you grow up in? In Well, I grew up in like Kendall, but then I like ended up moving down to like the Homestead area or like Country Walk area. And so then I went to a private like Christian school in Homestead. So I'm technically like half redneck, half Hispanic. <laughs> so you grew up, so you've always, your parents are Christian? Yeah. Okay. And so that's been a, a part of your childhood, part of your mentality, part of every part of your asp uh, of your of your life, every yeah. aspect of your life. Yeah, I um, my parents came to like the church at, when I was seven years old. So mm -hmm. I basically like grew up in the church, um, very small Christian church. It was um, a little bit more on the very old school, like kind of Pentecostal type of church. So like pretty hardcore for those people that don't know what Pentecostal so is. So for people who don't know what Pentecostal is, <laughs> yeah. please I guess give your own description, <laughs> depiction of that. Um, I mean, we believe in like the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, like Jesus, God, right? But like the Holy Spirit is strong and hardcore in the in these kind of churches. So um, it wasn't like the kind of church that you can only wear skirts in, like that women can only wear skirts, mm -hmm. but it kind of was along the lines of that, like maybe a little bit more legalistic. So very like you have a lot of rules that you need to follow. And so it got, you know, when I got older, it got kind of hard for me to keep up with that type of like Christianity because mm -hmm. I was like, there's too many rules. This isn't what I want to do. And my private school was also like that. It was very like you have to follow the rules. And and so it got kind of hard. And so how how has that changed from like, I guess, how religion and I'm going to use the word religion. Yeah. Uh, how religion has changed for you now. Yeah. E even though I know it's not a religion, it's a relationship with God. Yeah. Right. Right. Okay. So um, I think growing up, you get the Bible shoved down your throat for so long yeah. that you just get to a point where you start rejecting it a little bit mm -hmm. or not rejecting it, but you resent it. You're just like, man, like I can't keep up. Like they're expecting me to like be perfect all the time and be well put together. And it, it gets hard. And I'm a I'm an only child. So that's already the pressure that I feel at home. Like 
it's almost like all the pressure is on me. I have to like be perfect all the time. Like you can't let people down. And so then um, going to a private Christian school that was like that and also a church that was like that, you like get to a point where you're just like, I don't want to really deal with this anymore. So I pulled away from the church for a little bit, but I still like instilled like prayer and stuff at home. It just wasn't something that was like my go to every day. Um, and so I pulled away and then I jumped around a few churches. I went with my parents to like a Spanish church. And then, um, I mean, seriously, I've been to like every church in Miami at this point, but, um, I pulled away and I was just like, let me do my own thing. At the time I was dating somebody that like said he was a Christian, but he really wasn't a Christian. Mm -hmm. So, um, we didn't really do church. And so we got to like Christ fellowship and we were going there for a while, but it was just like the thing that you do on Sundays to check off your list. And you're like, oh, I'm a good Christian because I went to church on Sundays. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I pulled away again for like three years and I went through like a stint of like, I called my wedding off and then I went through like anxiety and depression and like drinking a lot. And, um, I ended up like not wanting to step foot into a church until like one of my friends was going to this other church that I currently go to. And I was like, I want nothing to do with that church. That's Mm -hmm. a massive like church. And I was not into the mega church type of like, like I mean, I grew up in a small church, so I just didn't want anything to do with the mega church, especially like what you would think is a celebrity pastor. Right. And mm-hmm. so I was like, no, no. So she invited me for like a year until um, I turned 30. And I think on my 30th birthday, I I remember feeling more alone, surrounded by people than if I would have actually been alone on my birthday. And that was at the height of my anxiety. And I was just like, man, like, it's crazy. Like, here I am drunk with all these people that I grew up with. And I would much rather have them be at home than have them be here with me. And so it got to a point where I looked at one of my friends and I was like, can you, like, tell everybody to go home? I just want to be with, like, my family. And so he was like, yeah. And so he ended up um, kicking everybody out of the house and just taking the girls home and stuff. And I was like, man, why am I feeling so like empty? And so like it was like 30 and something snapped in me. I was like, okay, I need to change. Like something's going on. I'm drinking too much. At this point, my parents were like, if you keep drinking, we're kicking you out of the house. And um, and so I was just like, okay. So the following weekend, I'll never forget, I um, was supposed to do a bridal show because I do wedding photography. And so I was supposed to do a bridal show. And my my best friend at the time that she um, was also shooting weddings with me was getting baptized that day at church. And I knew her life. And I was like, the fact that she's actually taking the step to get baptized is a big deal. Mm -hmm. And so I was going to go do the bridal show by myself to not go to the church to see her get baptized. But when I got to the bridal show, I parked outside and I was like, something inside of me was like, I should be supporting my friend instead of being here, like trying to make more money. Mm -hmm. And so I ended up like, like pulling back like I pulled back of, of the place and I was like I can't be here I have to go support my friend and I drove all the way to like little Haiti which is where this church is at and I drove out there and I remember I walked into the church like hesitant I was like what am I doing here like this is the one place that I didn't want to go to and I ended up walking in and the message just like punched me in the gut like I will never forget Pastor Rich was talking about how Um, if you feel like a failure because your relationship has failed, your business has failed and all these things. And like, it was just like at that moment, that's what I was feeling. I was feeling like a failure. And so it was just one of those things where I just like started bawling. And I remember that that was the moment that I said, this is when I'm making a decision to follow Jesus as an adult. And I don't want to live the life that I was living before. Like I want a change. I don't want to depend on alcohol. I want to go back to my roots, the things that I know, which is my relationship with God. Did you find yourself having to explain that to people, like what that means to you? And Yeah, 
Absolutely. I think for the most part, a lot of the friends that I grew up with understood it because mm -hmm. we all grew up in like the church and the Christian school and stuff. But there were a lot of people that they started seeing that I isolated. I pulled away from everybody that I had grown up with because I no longer wanted to be surrounding myself with those people that were enticing me to drink and just like going out and all these things. And that wasn't fulfilling anymore. And so in me pulling away, um, a lot of them were like kind of worried. They're like, are you depressed? Like what's going on? Like that you're no longer coming out. And I was just like, I think I need to go into this like isolation, like to kind of just figure out what I want to do next and where I want to go in life. And so um, there's actually a sermon that I heard while in that moment, cause I was feeling depressed. I was like, man, I, I feel like I no longer have friends, but it's because they're, the things that they want to do don't align to the things that I want to do in my life anymore. And so at that moment, um, I remember I started listening to sermons on YouTube, like, all, like all the time, because I was just like at home all the time. And there was one sermon that's called incubation through isolation that talks about like how sometimes you have to be in the incubator and isolate mm -hmm. from people to actually get developed into where God's taking you next. And it just hit me. I was like, that's the process that I'm going through. I need to separate myself from these people, distance myself from them to go through this process of like healing and all these things that I have to do and focus on myself. Um, but a lot of people didn't understand it. They thought that I was either avoiding them or they thought that I was just becoming holier than thou. And I was like, that's not what this is about. Yeah, it's a moment of introspection. You're trying yeah. to find yourself. You're trying to figure out like, what direction do I take my life in? Yeah. And I think a lot of people get confused in terms of isolation because, yeah, obviously there's a difference between purposeful isolation right. versus just isolating yourself because you're regressing, you're depressed, and you're right. just trying to isolate yourself from the world. Maybe you're overly anxious and right. going into those atmospheres just increases your anxiety. Right. But being purposeful and intentional right. and saying, I need to pull back. Mm -hmm. I need to find myself. I think a lot more people need to do that. Mm -hmm. I think we surround ourselves with noise mm -hmm. and we drown out our inner voice versus doing the opposite. Yeah. Because it takes a little bit more effort, right? Yeah. And I'm sure there was moments of pain and sadness mm -hmm. and feeling lonely, mm -hmm. honestly, when you're when you are isolating yourself. Yeah. And then the question is how how do you get through that without going back to the drinking and partying and surrounding yourself basically around a bunch of people who you're not connecting with. So it helped a lot to actually find community. So um, funny enough, I kept trying to avoid the church, but somehow like it was, we have this thing at the end of every service that says just keep coming back. Mm -hmm. And um, they would always repeat it. And I was like, I walked out of that first service, like what? heck what like what did I just do like why did I just walk into this church and then the following weekend I was like do I want to go again do I not and I remember standing outside of it and I was like one foot in and one foot out and I was like I can't believe I'm here again and so I walked in again and I was just like sitting by myself through the, the services like I wasn't even telling anybody I was going to church not even my best friend I was just like showing up by myself and I would just sit in a corner and just kind of take it all in and mind you like I grew up in the church so this isn't something new to me but somehow like in that moment it just it felt new and so um somehow people kept like noticing me even though I didn't want to be noticed and like the more I wanted to kind of what we say in Spanish pasar por desapercibida which mm -hmm. is kind of like blend in right and not be seen people were actually like oh picking me out of the crowds and they were like oh like we follow you on Instagram and we see that you're talented like as a photographer we have a photo team you should join and I was like no like this is not what I'm here for and so, but now I realize and recognize that they were just trying to pull me into community, which mm -hmm. is what I needed at the time. Because now at that point, I was like, okay, how do I move on from this? And like, how do I move on from feeling like a failure and feeling like I'm alone? And so I didn't know where to go. 
but they were kind of pulling me into community. And so that's what I did. I just started getting myself plugged into community. And little by little, I just started like going and serving on like photo team on the photo team stuff. Like um, at the time I was doing a lot of weddings. And so I was like, I don't want to do this because this is what I do every weekend. So like, I don't want to do this for the church too. And so one of the guys that was on the photo team at the time was like, let me actually have you shoot these specific assignments. And so he would give me specific assignments and I was like, okay, I'll do those. Okay, I'll do that. And it was just very easy to find myself like welcomed in certain spaces. And so um, I just, I don't know, like little by little, I just ended up in community and it really helped because those people started speaking life over me. And by speaking life, I mean like, they started, you know, seeing the good in me and kind of like pulling it out and like kind of calling it out and saying like, you're so talented at this. You're so good at this. You're such a people person. And so they kind of like started sifting the gold out in me. And what's it, your initial reaction when people start giving you those compliments or start seeking you out? Oh my gosh. At first I was like, these people are fake. Like <laughs> they don't know me. Like what, like, why are you trying to get me pulled in? Like, especially in a church like that. Why you do you, can, why do you, I mean, I'm sorry to interrupt you. Yeah. Why do you think you were guarded that way? I honestly, I think it had a lot to do with my past relationships and like friends that I had. I think sometimes they didn't see the value in me and stuff. And mm. it just got, especially in my last relationship, like with my fiance, I think um, I felt like he didn't value me as much. And so I kind of had lost my value and my self-esteem. And um, and it's not to bash him, obviously. Like, I think yeah. we were both growing up and stuff. And or you get so comfortable with the person that you just forget to see the good in them and that you end up just starting to see more of the flaws. And so they start calling out your flaws more than the like actual good. And so you start believing the flaw. It's easier to believe the negative than the positive. Right. Sure. And so and when then here come these strangers to give you compliments and right. all of a sudden you're like, right. What do you want from me? Right. Exactly. And it always felt like they wanted something from me. And I was like, either you're being fake or you just want me to like do stuff for you guys or whatever. But a lot of them were actually not like that. They wanted to really get to know me. They really wanted to get to know my story. And so it was really interesting because I'll never forget one of the guys ended up calling me to do a specific assignment for the church. And I was like, how am I here? Like, this is the one pastor that I wanted to avoid the most. And somehow I am shooting something so intimate about him. Right. And I'm in the like in it was at a hospital and I'm in the waiting room and I'm just like looking at all the people that work with this pastor. And I'm like, what the heck? Like, how did I end up here? And so. We ended up having a great conversation um, and he was my staff oversight at the time and he wanted to know more about my story. He wanted to know why I called my wedding off and all these things. He opened up about his story and we ended up connecting in that sense and we became, we're great friends now. And so I realized these people do care and they want to see you thrive and they want to see you kind of let go of the things that are keeping you like, you know, holding you back. Like mm -hmm. at the end of the day, that these things are holding you back from who you could potentially be. And so it was really interesting to see how they were seeing value in me that I couldn't even see in myself at the time. How important has that community been to you? Super important. And I think um, right now, especially like after going through this breakup, I think I realized that the last breakup, which was when I called my engagement off, um, I isolated and I pulled away from everybody. And with this breakup, I was like, yo, I need help. I don't know. Like this hurts. This sucks. And I don't want to do this alone. And everybody like came in and they were just like checking up on me and they were like, how are you doing? Like, you know, you're going to get through this. We're with you. And I was just like, man, and it took me so much quicker to get over it. I like got over it in a month or two. Then, I mean, obviously I didn't date the guy for that long, but it just, it helped so much more than actually isolating and ruminating on the things that had happened in the relationship. Yeah. What gives you, I guess, the power? Because something that drew me to your story was the fact that you were being so vulnerable and so open about something that's so intimate. Mm -hmm. So many people 
masquerade their relationships. Mm -hmm. um, they don't let people into past relationships that have mm -hmm. failed. What gives you the courage, I guess, to be so open about it? Because also, I'm sure there's part of you who doesn't want to offend him by you speaking out publicly about right. it, right? Because right. no matter what, we're not hearing the other story. Right. We're just hearing your story. Right. So I guess, yeah, how are you so open? How are you so vulnerable <laughs> about it? I think that takes a lot. Yeah. So I've, I've always made sure not to bash him because I know what I did wrong in of the course. relationship. And I think that that's very important. I think when you end up like ending a breakup, like ending a relationship and like, you know, have a breakup, especially as massive as calling a wedding off the month before your wedding. Right. You have to kind of like do that self-discovery and be like, what did I do wrong? Where did I go wrong? Like and it was just you start seeing how it all piled up and stuff. But um, I think one of the things that really started getting to me was noticing a lot of the girls that were also hurting and doing the same kind of relationships that I was in, the toxic type of relationships, because my my actual relationship with my ex-fiance wasn't toxic until we called the wedding off. And then we tried to do the back and forth, getting back together and all that stuff. And then it became toxic. I brought a lot of toxicity to it. But I actually had a toxic situationship with a next best friend, like a guy best friend. And I started noticing that other girls were going through the same thing. And I was like, man, if I actually spoke up about how I'm going through my healing journey, it might help other girls get through their relationship stuff. And so that's actually how I became best friends with one of the girls that I'm best friends with now. She was actually going through a really toxic relationship at the time with my ex-best friend's brother. And I started noticing patterns in what she was going through with what I went through. And I was like... The more I speak up about it, the more I can help other girls. And so it kind of just became this passion of mine of like making sure I'm addressing daddy issues, making sure I'm addressing like things that I'm bringing into relationships and baggage, but like also helping girls in realizing that they're bringing toxicity into their relationships. And so the best way for me was to kind of just put it out there on Instagram and be very, I'm, I'm, I'm a writer yeah. and there's moments where I get really like inspired and whenever I was like learning something about myself or there was a sermon that kind of hit me and it, like what I learned from it, I was putting it on Instagram and I started seeing a lot of feedback on my DMs of people that were going through the same thing and like anxiety and depression. Like that's something that a lot of people don't want to talk about. Mm -hmm. And I was like, the more I talk about it, the more I'm connecting with people that I would have never thought are actually suffering from it and they need somebody to talk to. So I became kind of like that safe space of like, do you need a friend? I will just go and sit there with you so you can vent through it because I've been in your shoes before. I think so many people just need that is somebody to hear them out. I, I got a call. I got a text this morning from someone um, and I get my texts and my DMs are often like this. I'm sorry. I wish they were a little bit more exciting, but they're not. <laughs> it's usually I'm going through depression um, yeah. or the text I got this morning was my daughter is suicidal and I don't know what to do. Mm -hmm. Um and then the sentence that followed that was, I'm so sorry to bother you. If you can't speak right now, don't worry. I'll look for other resources. And that's yeah. people's approach right away. They're yeah. already apologetic yeah. about this issue. And I called her. I was like, after we spoke for a while, I was like, listen, number one, it's a privilege for you to reach out to me yeah. to help you through this. Thankfully, I have the resources and I have some insight on how to help you. And don't hesitate to call me again. Yeah. So number one, if you need help, whoever's listening to this, if you need help, reach out to somebody, reach out to a friend, because it's going to make a major difference. If you just isolate um, and you're just ruminating with these thoughts spinning in your mind, um, 
it's going to be much more difficult for you to overcome it. I know you've spoken openly about therapy before. How significant has therapy been for you? Oh, my gosh. Well, in this season right now, I'm actually doing it again. Um, I went through. So that's one of the things that I was going to say. I think, you know, people focus on the highlight reels, especially on Instagram. That's what they want to show. Right. And here was this girl being very vulnerable and talking about like her breakups, her depression, her anxiety. And people are like connecting to that. And so. I found comfort in that because at home it wasn't something that I could talk about very easily because some things get over spiritualized. And for those people that don't understand, like everything becomes like pray about it. You need to pray more. You need to read your Bible more. And it's like, no, like right now, that's not what I need. I need help. Like, I don't know how to handle this. Like my mind just does not keep like spinning. And if you're telling me to pray about it, that's not going to make it go away. Like I'm still going to sit there and like ruminate on things. Church people, all of you church people (laughs) who are listening right now, when somebody comes to you with a major issue and you just say, I'm going to pray for you and you hug them and you walk away, you just completely dismissed everything. They they just need somebody to sit, listen, validate validate what they're experiencing. Don't talk over them and talk about your own experience at that moment. There's a time to share, but there's also a time to just be there for people and listen. Yeah. So please, please. Don't just tell people, I'm going to pray for you, and then walk away. It's probably not the best therapeutic technique. If you need help on therapeutic communication, call me. I'll help you out. Shameless plug, shameless plug. Yeah, seriously, though. Um, But yeah, that was my biggest thing at home. And then, obviously, I come from a culture where men don't speak about mental health at all. Like, you know, my dad's very Nika. And, like, to him, mental health is like, are you crazy? Like, Mm -hmm. like, legit, like, that is a question, like, do you need help? Are you suicidal? Like yeah. that was his biggest thing. So I'll never forget. Like that's one of the things that I loved about Vu, which is probably why I stayed there. Shameless plug to Vu. I was not going to say the name, but I did. No, please. Um, By all means. That they actually do a series on mental health almost every year. And I think I came in and right after I came in, they started addressing mental health. And at the time there was a pastor's wife whose husband had committed suicide. Yes. And mm-hmm. she came and she like spoke about it. And I remember my dad was already coming with me to church and I was like, I really want to go. I, I double dipped that weekend because I went in the morning and then I was like, oh, this I want to hear this woman speak. And so I went and sat with him. And of course, he's hearing this woman talk about suicide and he's looking at me like, are you he's OK? Su- are you like, suicidal? Yeah. Like- he walked out and he's like, is there something that you need to talk about? And I was like, no, I was like, I'm going through anxiety and depression, but I'm not at that point yet. And I was like, I don't know if I ever will be. Mm-hmm. But right now, I don't feel like I am. And so it was just. One of those things where, like, speaking about it on Instagram, I was like, I wonder how many other people are feeling like me, where they can't even talk to their parents about it because they don't want to worry their parents. Mm-hmm. And so um, it just became this thing where that's how I became very, like, vulnerable and open also on Instagram because of it. Yeah. Just because, I mean. Just I, wanted, I wanted to, ple- like, have create a safe space for people to actually be able to reach out and say, I need help. I want, I want to reach out. Like, what is it that you're doing? And kind of, like, take those same steps that I was doing. So... That's what brings me to therapy. Um, so like in 2020, I was like, I've never done therapy before. Let me try it out. And so I signed up for BetterHelp because everything was like, you know, through telehealth. And I didn't love it. It was good, but I didn't love it. And I was just like, okay, maybe this isn't really for me. I tried it out for a few. She was Christian, like faith-based or whatever, but it was just it just wasn't doing much for me. So I ended up pulling away from it. 
But then um, this past year when I, so I stopped, I didn't date after calling my wedding off because I've spoken about this before in other podcasts where I didn't want to bleed on anybody that like hadn't cut me. And I was like, I know that I have to go through a healing process. And I know that in order to do that, I need to take time just for myself and not jump around from one relationship to the next to the next because I'm, I'm not ready for it. And so I pulled away from that. But then this year I kind of opened up to like somebody and when you open up to somebody and you're in a relationship, you're more in an intimate setting and you start to really see, oh, crap, there's things that I still haven't healed from that are starting to come out into the surface. Or like most of the people that you hang out with are a mirror reflection of yourself. And so you start seeing a lot of yourself in that person. And like the flaws that you see in them sometimes end up being your own flaws. And so I, I was talking to him about it and he was in the middle of like his situation and um, he ended up, you know, telling me like why don't you try therapy again with wellspring and so wellspring is also like church-based and christian um based and so i was like yeah let me do it and so i signed up with them and it's been like night and day i think that that also has helped so much because it's you know helped me with like understand the socratic questions and like all of the other stuff that like the tools that you need to actually put into practice to be able to like help you kind of manage the things that you're going through your own thoughts your anxiety all that kind of stuff so it's awesome. definitely been helpful. Yeah, I, I think people have to recognize that there's a ton of resources out there. Yeah. But for sure, when you go into therapy, it's so important for you to be vulnerable with yourself. Because mm-hmm. sometimes they ask you certain questions mm-hmm. and you almost want to guard that part of yourself. Yeah. And so part of it is just being vulnerable with yourself and being ready to just put it all on the table. Yeah. The good, the bad, and the ugly. Yeah. If you're constantly pointing the finger outward, like you said, in your, in your relationship, yeah. you realize where your shortcomings were. Yeah. But it takes a special person to really look at themselves and say, ah, I'm screwing up here, here, and here. And that's probably where this part went wrong. Yeah. And where, what baggage did I bring to that situation that made that situation worse right. rather than improve it? Right. Am I lacking communication? Right. Um, do I have attachment issues? Right. Um, am I, my boundaries. I think boundaries. boundaries? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's what I realized. I was like, I'm not being firm on my boundaries. And like, it started from the very beginning. Like this was my boundary and we overstepped it. And then after overstepping that one boundary, I'm like, this is why I should have never overstepped this boundary. And I'm like, okay, clearly I am repeating the same patterns that I would from the last relationship that I was in. And it was something that I think me and you talked about, like through DMS, because I noticed that like this breakup mimicked and was exactly like my last breakup, like with my ex-fiance, like it was exactly the same. Like I ended up like finding him on a dating profile before we were even fully broken up. And I was like, how is this happening in the same exact way? But in a way, like I tell the girls in my group, I'm like, I think God also was testing me and making me see like you're repeating the same patterns, but how quickly are you going to let go this time? Like, are you going to let go? Or are you going to keep fighting for something that you know is not good for you and you're still trying to, like, hold on to it so tightly? And so it was like, no, like, clearly I'm doing the same thing that I used to do back then and it's the same kind of patterns and it's the same, like, silent treatments and all these things and we're doing the same toxicity. I need to pull away from this. This isn't what I want. At the end of the day, like, I know what I want and this isn't it. Yeah, We're creatures of habit. Yeah. Humans are cu- creatures of habit. And until we start realizing what those habits are, and those things that are those patterns that are just ingrained. So we'll right. go down that same path unless right. you challenge yourself and you veer off that path. Right. Otherwise, and you, if you date again and date again, you're going to fall into the same yeah. same relationship. Yeah. It's different face, same relationship. Absolutely. You know, it got bad when in the middle of an argument, we were arguing and I almost called the new guy my ex-fiance's name. And I was like, and I had to catch myself and I was like, 
why did I almost say his name? And I was like, oh my gosh, it's almost the same argument. And it's like, I'm actually arguing almost with the same person, but literally with a different name. And I was just like, what the heck is happening? So that's that's when the light bulb hit. And I was like, okay, no, like I'm, I can't do this anymore. I was like, I got to get out of this. I had no idea this was going to be a relationship podcast, <laughs> but, we'll, but we'll go with it. It's fine. Um, Actually, it's it's interesting that you are a wedding photographer. Mm-hmm. I mean, listen, you're a jack of many trades. You're a do-it-yourself. You're a DIY girl. I've seen you changing walls. I've seen you building a, um, a bed set for one of your friends. Yeah. I don't even know what, what's going on. And I'm the least handy person. So to me, I, I see you with a drill and a saw in the backyard. I'm like, that's pretty impressive. Like, I'm not that guy, unfortunately. The only part I can relate to you uh, with for sure is uh, photography. Yeah. Um, so you're a wedding photographer by by trade, right? Yeah. How, and you said you got into wedding photography how long ago? Uh, I got into wedding photography in 2010, so it's been way too long. Yeah, over point. a decade. <laughs> yeah. What have you learned? Oh God. <laughs> from being a wedding photographer. A lot. <laughs> like, let's talk about family dynamics because yeah. you you are involved in this intimate setting mm-hmm. where you're with them behind the scenes, mm-hmm. and then you're with them on the day where they're there to perform. Yeah. Right? Yes. <laughs> so what what have you learned from that aspect? Oh, my gosh. So I think the perform, when you say that, I'm like, yes. I tell most people, like, oh, my gosh, people plan for their wedding, but they don't plan for their marriage. And it is Oof. insane. Like, legit. Say that again, please. People, people plan for their wedding, but they don't plan for their marriage. Like, they literally go all out with these weddings, and especially here in Miami. Like, I mean, it's expensive as it is but um they end up like spending so much money and so much time like on planning this one night event and like and trust me sometimes i'm like i don't even know why i'm saying this i make money off of this but like but i'm like are you actually even planning for your marriage because i start noticing things in in the relationship that even before they make it down the aisle i'm like oh these might not make it once they're walking down the aisle i know whether they're gonna make it or not have you ever ran and I've wanted, the, I've wanted to. Yeah. Yeah. To tackle, tackle the bride or the groom or absolutely. both Absolutely. I've wanted to. Like, uh, the, especially the bride. I feel like there's some, some sense of connection with the bride <laughs> that I just want to be like, don't do it. Like, just don't. Um, but I think that that's something that you have to realize on your own, right? Like, nobody can tell you this isn't a good relationship for you because you won't hear it until you're actually ready to hear it or ready to, like, leave the relationship. And so, I mean, it happened to me. So, like, obviously. But, um... Yeah, I've I've learned to read a lot of the relationships before they actually walk down the aisle. And like I've had to sit down with some of them and be like, do you guys even know your five love languages? Like, like legit, like I'm like, I feel like a therapist before your wedding, because I don't think that they take the time to actually ask each other some of those deep questions that they should ask each other before actually walking down the aisle. So you see all kinds of things like family dynamics. I think you tend to see a lot of like those um couples that are coming from like divorced parents and how they haven't healed from their stuff and you're just like oh these are repeating the same patterns that their own parents are like we're like doing and so they're gonna end up in divorce at some point and some of them do and it's crazy because i've had clients where before a year comes up and i send them a happy anniversary like you know thing or it's like oh by the way you need to create your album they're like oh we're no longer together anymore and i'm like dude you just got married like eight months ago like what do you mean so it's been really sad to see that like people just are going with the flow of getting married or they think oh i'm getting to this age so i need to get married or we've been together this long so we need to get married and they end up making a huge mistake and so I mean, marriage, if you think about it from a societal perspective, 
divorce is just as likely as marriages, right? Yeah. We're almost we're at a 50-50 split. Yeah. Um, and then even within those marriages that remain together, I w- I'm very curious to know what percentage are truly happy. Right. What what marriages are flourishing? Right. Are truly friendships, and I'm not talking about from a romantic yeah. standpoint. I'm just saying like true uh, relationships where there's strong communication, a strong mm-hmm. bond, uh, a sense of togetherness that you want to spend time with that person. Yeah. I, I'm curious to know what the percentage of that is. Yeah. Yeah, so am I, because I've shot a lot of my own friends' weddings. Like, that's actually how I got started. It kind of started with a friend's mom was getting married for the second time. I did her wedding, and then um, a church friend did, like, she wanted me to do her wedding, and it just kind of, like, spiraled. It just kind of fell on my lap. Mm-hmm. I wasn't really looking for it. So I still keep up with a lot of my friends, obviously, because these are people that I grew up with. And so um, you get to see the ins and outs of the relationships mm-hmm. past the marriage. And so it was one of those things where when I was engaged, I was like, you know, I'm putting so much pressure on myself to be married before 30. And all of my friends are married now. Like, not or not all of them, but most of them are married now. But I'm like... I sat there and and thought to myself, how many of these people are going to be married at 50? And I was like, I'd rather pull the plug, call this wedding off, take my time to heal and do what I have to do to get to a secure place on my own and be whole on my own than to be 50 and divorced because I didn't care to wait. So Mm -hmm. that's that was kind of what motivated me to pull the plug on on how difficult was that because it's you were how far prior to the marriage a month before so 30 days before Mm -hmm. everything is planned out Mm -hmm. but at that point everything was paid off everything was yeah i had three wedding dresses which should have been a sign that i couldn't even make up my mind on the dress (laughs) but um yeah it was honestly it was difficult but at the same time i think i had a good support system um around me a lot of my own guy friends that i had and I, I say that with a grain of salt because I, we know that sometimes people can influence you to make a bad decision. Mm-hmm. But a lot of them knew my upbringing and stuff and they knew the goals that I had for my life. And they knew I wanted to go back to school and finish my degree and just like travel and do all these things. And they were like, but are you settling or is this what you really want? And so they started asking the really hard questions that I didn't want to hear at the time. Like, I'll never forget. I actually stormed out of one of my really good friend's house and I like. I got so upset and he like slammed the car door and he's like, I'm just doing this because I care about you. He's like, I don't care about you in any other motive, but like, it's just because we've grown up together and I'm trying to tell you like, are you settling or is this what you really want? And I was just like, and I just started bawling. I was like, oh my God. And so, um, because if you're sure, yeah, if you're perfectly sure with what you're doing and who you're marrying, you're going to set that boundary and be like, sorry, sir. Like this has nothing to do with you. And that, that's a stupid question for you to ask. Right. But now if it's offending you, it's because there's some truth behind it. More than likely. Yeah. yeah. And so um, my parents were at a crossroad. They were like, they were pretending to be happy because they wanted to be supportive. But at the same time, there were things that they were like, oh, but is this the right time or is this the right person? My parents wanted me to finish my my degree. And just like all these things. And so um, when I finally decided to pull the plug, I ended up, um, I remember I walked into my parents' room and I was like, I need, and the crazy thing is my dad had just given me a check with like the balance of like the rest of the wedding. And I didn't want him to pay for any of it, but he was like, no, he's like, you're my only child. Like you're my daughter here. Here's some money, pay for it. And so I ended up, um, looking at that check and I was like, oh my gosh, all the things that I could do with this money besides this. 
And I was like, I could actually go to school and pay my tuition and like finish this and like travel and do these things instead of paying for this wedding. And I was like, Andrea, why are you even thinking about this? Like, if you're happy, you should be like, yeah, okay. Like I'm paying this off. I paid it off, whatever. But then like a month later, I walked into their room and I was like, I need to talk to you guys. And my mom just like sprung up out of bed and she's like, what's going on? And I was like, I don't think I want to get married. And I think my parents face, there was such a relief to them that I was just like, what the heck? And my dad was like, if it's about the money, don't worry about it. I don't want you to make a mistake. Like my dad was so quick to say that, that I was like, geez, were you guys anticipating this? Were you guys waiting for this? And they were just like, look, Andrea, like at the end of the day, if this isn't what you want, we're going to support you every step of the way. And they're like, May like, maybe it's not the right time. Maybe you do marry each other, but not now and maybe later. And they're like, if it's about the money, don't worry about it. So I just, I had the conversation with him and I was like, this isn't what I want. This isn't what I want to do. And I pulled the plug. And um, I mean, other things happen in, in the way, and I, I did it in a very hurtful way and I will fully admit that. But um, I think that's the only way I knew how to do it. Mm -hmm. And I was like, the only way I will be able to like do this is if I actually hurt him because he won't like let me go kind of thing. And so I, that's what I did. And um, and that's where the toxicity started because is it okay it was, for me to ask to ask you how you hurt him because i'm just curious to know <laughs> um i mean there was like another person kind of involved gotcha, okay. it wasn't like it there wasn't like it was more of an emotional cheating yeah. type of thing and that's and he kind of like figured but he i just fully went open with it and i was like i think i have feelings for this other person mm -hmm. and i just kind of said it and he was just like what the heck mm -hmm. and I think now I look back and I'm like, I was running from one comfort zone to the other. That's really what I was doing. Or you were looking for an out. Yeah, and that too. Yeah, yeah. just looking so. for an out. Because sometimes we don't, it's hard to have that conversation. Yeah. And we'll do things to be almost self-destructive. Yeah. So. Yep. So I, that's what I did. Yeah. Do you fault yourself for that? Do you feel guilty about it? I did for it? a really long time. Yeah. I think I finally like let it go probably like a year or two ago. Mm -hmm. I let go of that because I obviously felt like I failed at that relationship because I hurt him mm -hmm. and the way that I did it and um, that I felt that I failed even at my friendship with the other person because nothing came, like we still weren't able to stay friends and like keep it amicable between each other. So I felt like I failed at a lot of things and I felt like I did. I like I thought I thought I was the one that was at fault for it like the whole entire time. But um, I think now I look back and I'm like, it needed to happen that way because if not, it wouldn't have happened any other way. And I probably would have ended up marrying him and I probably would have ended up divorced at some point because it was a frustration that I had with myself that I hadn't accomplished the things that I wanted to accomplish for myself. I wasn't whole on my own. It, go it literally goes back to I wasn't whole and secure on my own. Do you find an irony in being a wedding photographer and then ending up walking away from... Absolutely. From yeah. Yeah. I could imagine. Yeah. I could You've witnessed all these days and then you're planning on your own day and all of a sudden you're like, oh, how has that changed the way that you view weddings now? I tell everybody I would elope. <laughs> I'm like, I don't want to spend this much money on a wedding for for what to feed a bunch of people. And like for like, no, I don't care for it. I'm like, I'd rather have something either really intimate with like mm -hmm. 20 people max or just go somewhere with my parents, his parents and him. And that's it. And you like, have a Hispanic family and you can limit it to 20 people. Listen, <laughs> I will try my best. We were limiting it to 150 and I was like dying because I'm like, this is too many people. I've never been the type of girl that likes to be the center of attention, which obviously like not, you can tell like me being in front of all these lights. I'm like, ah, mm -hmm. but um, that I was dreading that. I was dreading that the day of my wedding. And I was like, this isn't what I want, but I was doing it to please everybody else. And now I think about that and I'm like, like, I don't want to please anybody else. I want to do what I want to do. And a lot of people go into these marriages pleasing everybody else 
but themselves. And I'm like, no, I'm not about that. How have you handled the, and this is a photography question, guys. I'm sorry to bore you, but I want to know because I, I, I'm, I'm a decent photographer. People have invited me to shoot their weddings before. And I'm like, no, yeah. like that is a high pressure day. Yeah. And then I have to sit down afterwards and edit it. Yeah. Like this is a lot of work. Yeah. How have, like, how have you just, it's, it's a ballsy move from a photography standpoint because you're literally capturing these moments that you can't get back. So yeah. if you screw up, like you're done. <laughs> So how have you handled that? I actually talked about that on my podcast recently. Oh, because, really? Yeah, because it was it's it is very hard. I actually got into a car accident on my way to a wedding once um, and it was a hit and run. And my second shooter and I never ride together. And this was the one wedding that we were like, oh, let's ride together. We never do it. And never again, because the guy hit us. We spun out of control and I ended up facing the like opposite way. And um, I, it was an attorney's wedding and I remember I got to her hotel and I was like went into full panic mode and I just started shaking because it was like a delayed panic attack. Um, and so like I, like there's something weird about me that when I'm under pressure, I perform so much better than when like if I sit and overthink it before, then I'm I'm just like I talk myself out of it. I'm like, I'm not good. I don't know what I'm doing. But then once I'm there, I'm just go, 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 go. And you just create a system out of it. Like at this point, I have a system in place like you know, I prepare like right in advance. And so like, I think, I don't know, like, I think I'm just very good under like those high intensity pressure type of like no, moments. It's, it's so, definitely high pressure. Yeah. So how has, um, well, how, how has it been dating in your twenties and thirties oh, now? So, cause you, you call off a wedding, you go back to a single life. Sounds like you've been through a few relationships. Yeah. No, not a few. No. <laughs> One, two. Yeah, it's been, I've had like three or four serious relationships. But have you dated? I'm saying you've been dating. But lately, no. So the first person that I dated after my, me calling my wedding off was this guy from this summer. And um, again, it goes back to like, I, I knew I was not ready to date. And um, there were people that would like catch my interest and I would crush on them. But then I'd be like, okay, no, like if I'm feeling this way, like I don't want to lead out of my emotions. I want to be more logical about things than because you can romanticize the person so quickly. Like you can find a person and be like, oh, they're so good at all these things. And this is like what they look like in the package. And like they're checking off all the things on my list. And then you end up romanticizing them and you ignore the red flags, which I was I did so much in the past situationship that I was in and even my last relationship. And even like I bring my own red flags too to relationships. And I think sometimes you tend to ignore them. And so um, I'm more open to dating now, but I'm dating with being intentional about it. So I think a solid relationship starts with a solid foundation of friendship. And so for me, it's more. How important. do you maintain that? How do the you friendship? Main, yeah. How do you maintain friendship when you have a sexual attraction to somebody? Yeah. You know, you're in your 30s. Obviously, you have desires. Yeah. We all do. We're mm -hmm. human. Right. Right. So how do you kind of put those on the back burner and just say, no, I just want to get to know you because that other person may not see it the same way you see it. So right. they're, they're trying to cuddle with you. They're trying to get close to you. Boundaries. Yeah. So but how do you do that? Boundaries. So um, I think one of the things that I realized was that um, I, I'm trying not to place myself in places where it's just me and that person alone. So I want to get to know them in like, especially because community is so important to me. Mm -hmm. What I did wrong in the last situation was the fact that <laughs> I didn't bring him around my community enough to where maybe they were going to be able to point things out in him that I you know, wasn't seeing like I think other people sometimes you're seeing things with rose colored glasses, but everybody else is like, mm, there's something off about this or maybe the way you guys are talking about this shouldn't be talked about. And so now 
I'm trying to make sure that whoever I'm trying to get to know is in the context of community. So that way, like, it's like, oh, people are kind of vetting for that person. They're like, oh, this person's a really good person and he's this and this and that. So I try to do it. in That's community. interesting. So because a lot of people don't want the influence of somebody else. Like, I'm going to I'm going to give you a spin on what you just said. I think it's important to bring in somebody new into the community because then you see how they behave in a group setting. Right. Because sometimes people one on one, like you said. Right they are your knight they're putting a mask there's a huge mask but then behaviors start coming out when they start being challenged from different angles absolutely um and by different people in the room yeah so do you feel like you need your parents blessing when you when it's going to be time for you to get married probably yeah i think honestly at this point i'm like my mom has had such a good gut feeling about all of the guys that i need to trust her gut feeling a little bit more because she'll usually like be like "Mm, i don't know about this person and then she ends up being right most of the time but then again it's like it's you have to be wise about the advice that you get too. even because at this point i'm like i'm 34 like i'm not always gonna go to my mom for certain things so like even then like now getting to know people i'm like yeah i'm getting to know them in the context of community at church and stuff and like for me that's a very big um important thing i'm like i want to see what you're like at in their church environment because that's such a big part of me and so like are you serving people are you willing to serve people are you willing to like you how do you speak to people how are you leading people like what because especially because i'm so highly involved and so i want to like make sure that that person's going to be at that same kind of level and so instead of me trying to pull them up it's kind of like we're walking the same journey together Mm -hmm. and so there's things that obviously i don't go and talk to my mom about it but i think my mom will probably have a very good feeling on whether that person is it or not yeah like it says a lot to me uh, let's say if i was on a date and the way that the person communicates even with the waiter or the waitress or somebody who's serving us right and all of a sudden i see them talking down or disgusted with them and it's like oh okay yeah so that's if if that's the way that you just treat this random person who has done no harm to you yeah could you imagine yeah could you imagine if i screw up yeah i'm done exactly i'm done it says a lot about a person so you said something on the on the last podcast that you were in um that resonated a lot and you said love releases love surrenders Mm mm-hmm can you speak a little bit on, on that? Yeah. So um, one of the things that I've learned is that sometimes we operate out of ego more than out of love. And so our ego tends to hold on to people that we're really meant to like release and let go of. And I think I learned that in my previous relationship because it was one of those things where it's like if I'm not willing to let you go when you're asking me to let you go, it's because I'm trying to hold on to you because of my own ego. Like it's like I don't want to be rejected. I don't want to feel like you're leaving me. I don't want to feel like you're going to find somebody better than me. And so I'm holding on to you tightly. And so I feel like when you're willing to really give up a person, it's because you actually really love them. And you're like, I wish you the best. I want your happiness and your happiness is going to be like be like it's going to come first over my own happiness. So that it's a sacrificial. I feel like love is a little bit of a sacrifice. You have to learn to die to yourself every single day and kind of just be like, you know, this is the person that I'm with and I'm going to put their happiness and sacrifice certain things about myself for them. Yeah. You have to be willing. Yeah. I mean, it just goes back to like, and it always ties back to like my relationship with Jesus, right? Mm -hmm. He sacrificed himself on the cross for me out of love. And so it's like, if we're supposed to be a little bit more like Jesus every day, then we're supposed to also love people in a sacrificial way. So that's the way that I see it. But so often people feel that they have to pursue. I mean, men, we're hunters, right? Mm -hmm. So we have to pursue. We have to win you over. We Mm -hmm. have to hunt. Mm -hmm. And we've heard a lot of stories before, love stories where people say, oh, no, he pursued me for a year. He sent me this. He did that. So you're saying, in your opinion, 
you feel like that's not that's not healthy i think there has to be a balance because i think that that can also be very unhealthy because girls can play the hard to like get kind of game and i don't think that that's the right approach to dating either at some point it's like if you are keeping a guy around for a year pursuing you like that there's something wrong with you you just want the validation at this point like or are you really into the person or is it just because they're actually pursuing you and you are interested in them it's like I mean, for me, a year is too long. Like, yeah. I'm sorry. Um, so I do think that there has to be a balance. Like, I think that once you're dating, a guy should never, you should never stop dating each other. Like, just like when you're married, you should never stop dating each other. And I think that that's been one of the beauties of the community that I'm in. I do see a lot of the couples that I'm around and I'm surrounding myself with that have very healthy marriages and the fact that, like, they take Friday nights to have dinner dates with their wives. And so like they'll leave the kids with a babysitter and they're intentional about Friday night. Every Friday night we are going out to date just the two of us. And so it's setting an example of like what I would want more of a marriage to be like. And so I'm like, oh, that's actually super important. They never stop dating and they talk about it all the time. So I think like, yes, the guy wants to pursue the woman all the time and you guys are hunters. And so the girl should always do that, but not to the point of a year. Like that's too much. Yeah, I mean, I just think, that, that's something that I've always felt. I think I've lived that in a relationship before where I was the one who always, she desired the pursuit, but not you just said she just, maybe she just needed validation. Yeah. Maybe she was insecure about her own things. And right. show, so she required of me in order for her to feel value in herself for me to pursue her constantly. Yeah. Well, and then no. it becomes a challenge for the guy. So sometimes it ends up. Becoming it drove me a nuts. Game. It drove me nuts. Yeah. Like it was like, no, just love me. That's it. Like I, I'm not trying to pursue you all the time. And then it becomes frustrating because then she'll say, "Why aren't you pursuing me?" That right. means that you don't love me. Right. So and now that's I'm, so twisted. Exactly. So now <laughs> your your perception of love is what's skewed, not my behavior. Yeah. So it's. Uh, so it, then it, when you get married, what? You're not chasing her anymore. And so then like she's going to leave you because you're not chasing exactly. like, that. There's something off there. So it's a cat and mouse game all yeah. the time. And, no, yeah. and I learned very quickly. I was like, oh, I can't be in this. Like, I cannot continue yeah. this because I'm going to go nuts. Yeah. And it's just a frustrating feeling of cat and mouse. Yeah. But there's a lot of women that, that do that. Yeah. They'll use sex as a lure. Oh, mm -hmm. I'm my my husband and I are upset with one another. So I'm withdrawing sex. Mm -hmm. I'm withdrawing any physical it's punishment. So now, now sex is a punishment. Yeah. How about just talking about it and communicating? Getting through it. And but that's the problem. A lot of people don't know how to communicate with each other. And I think that like, and they're so closed off to even going to therapy. And I'm like, why don't you try couples therapy and therapy on your own? You clearly both need it. Because that's for crazy people. <laughs> exactly. That's why. Yeah. I mean, guys, don't quote me on that. It's not for crazy people, but this is the, the general the theme in society. Yeah. yeah. And so. so it sucks because now... Therapy has this negative stigma or therapy, including couples counseling, is viewed as something that only happens when your when your relationship is in jeopardy. Right. Which is not the case at all. No. You probably should go when it's healthy. Right. You probably should go while you're still dating. You should probably go while you're married. Doesn't right. matter at what point in time. But right. going is just a moment for you guys to look at maybe something that your wife isn't communicating with you or you're not communicating with your wife. Right. Our pastor always tells us that, like, because he does counseling and stuff, and he always tells us, like, he goes to it to prevent things from breaking. And yeah. he's like, you know, he's like, why am I going to go when things are broken? I'm going to, I'd rather go before things are broken and, like, to prevent them from breaking. And when he, it's, that's what shifted my mentality on therapy. And I was like, man, if my own pastor is on a platform talking about how he goes to therapy, maybe I should try this too. But it's like maintaining a house. Yeah. Do you wait for something to break? No, you like I'm, I'm in the process of purchasing a home right now. So do I wait for do I 
forego the inspection and just look at the house and say, oh, no, this looks great. No, I think we're going to be OK. I do the inspection. There's a little bit of a plumbing issue here. There's a leak right here on this side of the roof. Possibly there's termites. Right. And I'm just kidding. All this is not going on with the house. <laughs> I would not be buying it. But I'm just giving an example. Yeah. And so if if that was the case, yeah. then these those these are all different issues that will eventually cause some major issues within the home. Yeah. Uh, I should just maintain it along the way. Yeah. Absolutely. So. Yeah. I have some some hot topics here that I don't <laughs> even know if I want to dive into. How long have we been going, Gabe? Oh, that's not too bad. All right, cool. We're good. We're good. <laughs> okay. You're somebody who pursues a lot of passions, mm-hmm. right? So you jumped into photography, sounds like kind of randomly. Yeah. You do a lot of do-it-yourself projects. Yeah. You're stepping into a podcast. Yeah. What allows you to pursue all of these different things? What What encourages you? What motivates you? And what do you get from from, from pursuing so many different avenues? Because some people might say, hey, you're scattered. You're yeah. all over the place. What are you doing? Focus right. on one thing. Right. So what are your thoughts? Well, that's been, I think I grew up thinking I needed to just focus on one thing. So I put myself in a box for a really long time. And I think when you're a creative, you're a creative. And like, yeah, maybe somebody's not handy. But I think for me, doing all of these things is I get something different out of all of it, right? Wedding photography, I get that people person. Like, I love love. Like, I'm a hopeless romantic. So I see them and I'm like, oh, they look so cute. They're getting married, you know? So I get that out of it and that like high intensity driven like okay we gotta get so you're part of the romanticism problem (laughs) i am (laughs) you see all right go ahead sorry i am um and so i i I see i get that out the adrenaline rush out of a wedding because it's like it's go 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 it's everything so fast so i get that um when i build things it's more of like a moment for me to be alone and just kind of like do something with my hands it's active rest for me that's what like it is like i feel like people take like a sabbath day to like rest and just be by themselves and like do nothing and watch TV all day. I'm like, I can't sit and watch TV all day. Like my, I have thicky thicky brain is what I call it, where it's just like, I'm always thinking of something to do. And so either I'm reading a book or I'm trying to get some active rest done. And so for me, building a wall or building a bed or building something is my active rest. Mm-hmm. Um, cooking is kind of like that. Like cooking is kind of like my therapy. I'm just like in the zone. I'm like getting ingredients and all this stuff. And then I can host a dinner and have people over. And that's how I get my quality time because that's my love language. Mm-hmm. My love language is acts of service and quality time. So I'll serve to get quality time sometimes. And so it's knowing these things is what really gets me like going into all these avenues. And so now with the podcast, honestly, it kind of just happened. Uh, I went on one podcast episode. So many people heard it. I had been told for like a year or two to host a podcast. And I was just like, absolutely not. This is not for me. I don't even like the sound of my voice. And um, I think for me right now, the podcast is more to stretch myself to actually grow in it and to see that I am capable of speaking and that I am capable of like teaching people and kind of pastoring people because it's kind of like comes from a pastoral heart that I have Um, and just being able to connect relationally with people and like having those really hard conversations that's like I put people on the hot seat and I ask them questions and I flip the perspective on them and just kind of like seeing them squirm a little bit. It's like, oh, no, I got you thinking. I'm not <laughs> trying to make you squirm. I'm just trying to have a conversation. No, with you. I know. But that, but I kind of enjoy that because yeah. I want people to actually. And, and it's like I was saying last night in the episode that I recorded, I said, at the end of the day, I want people that when they listen to themselves on a podcast episode, that they can see their own growth mm-hmm. and that they can hear themselves and be like, dang, I sound a lot more like 
you know, capable of doing this than I thought or like more like that they can see their worth in how in all the things that they've gone through, because that's what happened to me in the first episode that I recorded when when he sent me the preview to my episode and I listened to it. I actually cried because I was like, dang, I just kind of like ministered to myself. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I've been through a lot and I've grown through a lot of things. And it was in listening to my story myself that I was like, I can I can see my growth. And so um, I think the podcasting is I'm doing it for myself to grow, but also for other people to hear themselves and their growth. I think that's the beauty of it. Right. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, I I feel like I have a lot to contribute to other people, but then sometimes I tend to minimize who I am and what I've accomplished. Yeah. Um, I'm my own worst critic. And yeah. I know that. Yeah. I don't celebrate my own victories. Um, uh, so it's it's like you said, like now putting cameras in front of you and putting a mic in your face is definitely a challenge. Yeah. Um, because if we were speaking intimately and you come with to me with a major life issue, I know exactly how to talk you through it. Right. I know what kind of guidance I want to give you. Right. But it's very different when I'm speaking on an open platform right. or format right. where, oh, shit, this is being recorded <laughs> yes. and forever. There's a mic in front of my face. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but at the same time, you, you mentioned active rest. Yeah. Um, and it's something that I think I've lost, mm. right? And I'm just trying to find it now. That's why I told you I blocked off my Wednesdays mm -hmm. just to create. Mm -hmm. um, I had still been taking pictures for the past year and a half. Yeah. But a big part of photography is sitting down to edit and go back through it. Yeah. And so that requires patience. Yeah. It requires you to go within yourself where yeah. you don't have distractions around you. Yeah. And so it's cool to hear that that's why you work on these different projects. Yeah. Because it's, it's so healthy, right? Yeah. Sometimes we ignore the editing process, too, because if you're your own worst critic, like it probably happens to you like it happens to me where I sit there and I look at my photos and I'm like, oh, my gosh, I could have done a much better job with this. Like, what the heck? Like, And so you end up like criticizing it so much that you end up not loving what you did. So I actually I don't edit my work. Um, I have too much on my plate to actually sit there in the computer I because I work a nine to five in the marketing agency, too. So like to get home and have to edit a wedding, I'm like, I just no, I don't want to do it. So I actually have my second shooter that edits for me. But nice. in a way, it's a lot better because when she hands me the like the everything, when she delivers the like product to me and I can go through it, I'm like, oh, OK, this actually went a lot better than I thought. But if I actually sat there and looked through all the photos, I would have been like, oh, I could have done this. Do you even select the photos that you sent to her? I used to before. Now I don't. I trust her enough that I'm like, here, like, that's cool. You can just go ahead and select the photos, do and create the story. She was there with me throughout the whole entire day. There's weddings where I've had to shoot by myself and she's not there. But she at this point, we both have been working together for 12 years. Yeah, she knows flow. my process and so I trust her enough and that's something that I've had to learn with photography and even like at church delegating that because for a person like me as a creative since I'm so overly critical I can be overly critical about other people and so it's in learning to trust other people that they'll know how to deliver a product just as good as I can or even better than I can like it's learning and if they if it's not as good as what I think then I can teach them to get to that level right and so it's learning to teach and learning to delegate that for a control freak like me that has been the hardest thing for me to learn but the church has actually helped me in learning that so because you were put in a position that you had to delegate right yeah yeah i think that's what i've learned through having a business yeah. honestly in the past two years is you can't do it all by yourself you can't grow no you can your business will not grow and you cannot grow as an individual if you don't yeah. delegate you'll crack uh, completely yeah. yeah and but that's something that i've met from uh, a lot of other people in different industries where they're like, oh, nobody else can do this like me. No. Nobody else can do this. And that's my, an ego thing. Yeah. My yeah. dad has had a tire shop for 32 years. 
if my brother's not there, my dad is there. If my dad's not there, my brother's there. Yeah. And Papo, I love you. It's my brother. <laughs> Papi, I love you. But I know that there's ways that they can make that business flow because I tell them all the time, I said, uh, you don't have a business. You have a prison. Yeah. Because your business should be able to run. God forbid something's ha- something happens to both of you. Mm-hmm. I won't know how to run it. Mm-hmm. I won't know how to help you. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you start training somebody now, obviously you have to invest in somebody. Just like you said, right. you invest by teaching. They're right. not going to know exactly how to do it, how you do it, but you could teach them. Right. Or you could develop a system that allows them to flourish in it. Right. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's I've seen that a lot. Delegating is huge. Yeah. huge. And I have to be able to trust my team here. Yeah. Hey, do this, this, and this. Now it's my job just to hold you accountable. Right. Hey, we met last week. This is the things that we discussed. Right. These are the things that we discussed. What has been accomplished? What what hasn't been accomplished? Yeah. And how do we move forward? Yeah. And that allows me to actually have that active rest time too, because if I'm trying to produce, produce, produce from a place of I am exhausted, I'm not going to produce to the best of my abilities and to the quality that I probably want to produce too. Mm-hmm. But meanwhile, if I'm actually resting, like I'll be able to actually take a time to decompress and come at it with more strength than before. So I think people forget that rest is such an important part of like our lives, especially as creatives. Like we need to like let our brains just kind of like chill for a little bit even if i'm i might be doing something with my hands but my brain isn't really thinking about what i'm doing like so it's 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 kind of like weird like it's like i know that i'm creating but i'm not like actually like thinking about what i'm creating in the moment this is going to sound strange but i actually looked this up this morning not knowing that this was going to come up in the conversation we spend two we okay we spend 80 about two eighty two thousand hours at work in our lifetime Exactly. That's too many. <laughs> right? So you, be- so you better love what you're doing, right? Yeah. Or you better put yourself in the position where you're gonna enjoy it at least, mm-hmm. or it better be fruitful enough where you're gonna have additional time to do the things that you love. Right. I mean, it has to be some sort of a trade-off. Right. And then we spend 226,000 hours sleeping. Mm-hmm. So how important sleep is work? Sleep when you die. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. No, so, yeah. No. <laughs> Yolo, right? No. But how important is sleep? How important is rest? Right. It's extremely it's a major part of our lives whether we like it or not right um so we just we, you definitely have to rest you have to rest well and even if it's active rest like you're describing yeah it's just a way of meditating and disconnecting from the stressors that you're constantly dealing with right yeah. um how do you how do you how do you disconnect besides these projects how do you disconnect as a whole so i tend to go into nature a lot mm-hmm. um one of the things that i love especially because i grew up more down south of miami i you tell me to come to the Gables and I'm like, oh, my God, I have to deal with traffic. Like, because I, you know, I, well, when I was growing up, like it was all tractors out there. Like mm-hmm. that's all you would really like run into. <laughs> and so um, I love disconnecting by going out in nature. So like one of the things that I actually used to love to do a lot and I did a lot with um, my group of friends from from high school was going mudding. And like I, I talk about it with one of my best friends that we would go mudding together and the other day we were talking about it and I said, you know, I realize it's not mudding that I miss and it's not the people that I went mudding with. It was just the fact that we were out in the middle of nowhere, disconnected from like you had no cell phone signal, no like social media. You were just out there in nature and we would start mudding sometimes at like 6 p.m. and we wouldn't get back to like 5 a.m. the next day. So, yeah, we were out there like all night. But there was something so beautiful about just being out there in like complete darkness and just looking up into the sky and seeing nothing but the stars and like being so disconnected from everything that it was just like, oh, like this is peaceful. This is rest. So now that we don't really go mudding, I try to do that and be more intentional, just like going out and watching the sunset at the beach by myself and like 
decompressing on my own or um uh, my friend has a, this massive tree house and like that's become the place and so sometimes i'll be like hey can i just go to sit in your tree house and i just go sit there in like silence and no social media no nothing probably like a book or my bible and I, I just sit out there so like nature for me is the place where i actually like feel like i just rest which is why i was telling you this trip to like north carolina it was like one of those things where i was like I need to go find Jesus in the mountains again. And it was just like, okay, like it was, we disconnected. I tried to so be you, very... Wait, so rewind. So you go on a random trip. You get invited last second. Yeah. And <laughs> and you end up in North Carolina, in North Carolina I guess, on um, everybody was going through something, right? Yeah. And so you find yourselves in the middle of North Carolina hiking. Yeah, and what, we were hiking. What part of North Carolina? Um, we went. So we flew into Charlotte, and then from Charlotte we ended up in Asheville. Then we went to uh, Gatlinburg, and then we came back to... Um, charlotte like so it was like a three day it was veterans day weekend i had just like gone through like my breakup i was kind of coming out of it but i felt like i was missing that spark and that joy in my life and like it wasn't igniting and so um my podcast episode had just launched like the first one i ever did and it had just launched and somehow it was just being spread like wildfire at church because i talk about my whole calling the wedding off and everything Mm -hmm. And people were approaching me that I had never spoken to. And they're like, oh, my gosh, I heard your podcast. And it was like, oh, it was sent to me by so-and-so. And I'm like, who is so-and-so? So I end up having this conversation with this one guy. And he's like, oh, man, like what you said about this really impacted me. And so like a week later, he calls me and he's like, hey, a bunch of us are going to North Carolina. Do you want to come? And I'm just like, who is a bunch of us? And he starts giving me names. And I'm like, I know you guys by names, but I don't even know you. But I was like, you know what? Screw it. I was like, let's do it. And I just booked my flight and I went out there. And it was like the best trip we could have ever taken. Like some great friendships came out of that. And um, more importantly, like I realized how important it is to do that active type of rest or to just rest and unplug and be able to connect with people one-on-one without a phone in front of you like it was just like we were having conversations over dinner which is kind of like how this whole you know um the breaking bread podcast kind of started because it's conversations over dinner because that's when we would get really like serious with each other and have these intimate deep conversations with each other and so i appreciated that and i came back and my mom was like something about you like completely just like snapped in this trip like it's like you got your joy and your spark back and i was like i kind of felt that too and it's just like it was just one of those moments where that's what you feel like you need in that moment like just time in nature and out with people that you don't know strangers that become friends kind of like you yeah yeah, exactly (laughs) strange enough that's kind of what this podcast is for me as you're speaking i'm like oh this is active rest this is a way for me to disconnect yeah um for some reason every time i put on these headphones and speak through these mics i've had conversations with gabe um just to show him what this felt like yeah and he was like wow this this is different yeah and i think it just slows down time and it's a moment for me to connect with somebody else yeah somebody who i don't know i told you it was a way i told my girlfriend <laughs> i was like i get to go on a bunch of first dates and yeah. it's fantastic it's the best form of infidelity i've ever had in my life um because really that level of intimacy is hard to find out and about if yeah. i told you hey let's go meet at a coffee shop and just have deep conversations i would think you're weird as heck right <laughs> Strange enough, but we're just two people who want to connect. (laughs) But you're always thinking in your head, there's something behind this, right? right? What else does he want? This isn't just a friendship. Right. So this gives gives me a great excuse to have these conversations. And it's weird because the cameras are there and they kind of, you can be vulnerable in front of them. You don't even feel them. 
but they also protect you in a way where you don't have to feel like who's this weirdo this is all being taped so if he tries anything here it is <laughs> yeah i so, mean i think you've created a safe space though yeah. like it feels like a very safe space where it's like people can be vulnerable to talk to you i mean you're a psychologist i would hope you would i'm a psychiatric a nurse practitioner by the <laughs> oh, way there you go yeah. that's what you are <laughs> um but you know it's like you you know how to create those safe spaces for people so like when you asked me to come on your podcast i probably would have been like heck no like he has a girlfriend like your mind just goes and spins all these stories right yeah. but like i was like no this is kind of what he does and you don't know what can come out of it and i've i've honestly in this season of my life i've learned to say yes to more things than to say no because you really don't know what doors are opening up for you and that you need to walk through and you're saying no and it's kind of like a disobedience to an opportunity that god's kind of placing in front of you and it's like not even for me but i'm like i don't know who needs to hear this story mm -hmm. and kind of like be impacted by it it's really not about me at all why do you think people impulsively say no to so many things? There's a opportunities that come to a lot of people, yeah. but some people are quick to say no. Why, why do you think that I is? I think some people are close-minded and guarded. I think it scares them. Mm -hmm. I think fear is paralyzing. And um, I was that person for a really long time. I mean, I even throughout the whole thing with my church, there were a lot of things that I'd say no to. And I had to have the right people in front of me that were like, I know you're scared. Do it scared anyway. And like that push was like, what? Like, I will never forget. I got asked to teach a class on flash, like on flash photography. And when I saw that small room of like 30 people, and these are people that I go to church with, like I'm used to them. And I just entered panic mode. And I was like, I can't teach this class. Are you crazy? Mm. And so my, my staff oversight was like, okay, that's fine. You don't want to teach it. That's fine. But then like he sat down with me and he's like, next time do it scared anyway. And I was just like, okay, okay. And it's having those people that kind of tell you and mentor you along the way and say, do you think I knew what I was doing? I didn't know what I was doing, but I figured it out along the way. And it's in saying yes, that you're going to figure it out along the way, even if you're doing it scared. So it's just stepping boldly into like saying, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm scared. I don't know if I can do this, but I'm going to do it anyway. Welcome to my life. Yeah. Yeah. It's just <laughs> stepping into, stepping into the unknown. And mm -hmm. it is scary. It yeah. is scary at first. Yeah. And then once you, I think it's like anything else, once you're exposed to stepping out into the unknown over and over and over, yeah. it becomes less and less scary. Yeah. At first speaking in front of a crowd, yeah. feels like this insurmountable task that right. you're just going to panic and run out of the room. Right. But the truth is, once you're up there for one or two minutes, you start to realize, oh, no, I do have something to give. I do have something to contribute. Right. And these people are actively listening. This yeah. is a privilege. Again, it's a privilege to be there. It's a privilege for me to speak to one person like right, right now. But it's also a privilege when you have a room full of people and right. they're, they're coming to learn something from you. Yeah. There's something that a friend tells me um, that we went on the trip with that he says he's in his season of being comfortable in the uncomfortable. Mm. And I think that that's so important. It's in realizing that when you say yes to things, it's just getting comfortable with the uncomfortable. But there's so much growth that happens from that. Like, I feel like that's really when you're like, OK, yeah, I'm growing. And mm -hmm. that's why it's uncomfortable. But there's something about getting comfortable with that that makes there's beauty behind it. Yeah. For a while, I was um, I have 15 employees now. And for a while in the beginning, my phone would ring mm -hmm. and I could almost feel myself already defensive and mm -hmm. almost not wanting to pick up the phone. Mm -hmm. Because I was already creating something in my mind in terms of what this person was calling me about. Mm -hmm. And once I learned how to change my perspective and say, oh, let's see how I can help this person or let's see how I can solve this problem. Mm -hmm. So now I'm approaching it from a place of, of, of positivity, serving. of serving, of positivity, mm -hmm. of how can I help this person? Mm -hmm. And even if I can't, it's OK. Mm -hmm. But I, I felt I don't know why I was getting that mindset where I was feeling like like they were just pulling from me. Mm -hmm. 
Um, but it was it was probably just a lot of things that were overwhelming me, and I was yeah. unknowingly taking it out on whoever. Not even taking it out because they wouldn't even know what I was going. Right. I didn't. They they did not understand the conversation I was having with myself, obviously, because yeah. I was not showing that or displaying that to anybody. But now I realize that, and so now the conversation that I'm having, the phone rings. I'm like, oh, that, let's see what Danielle wants. Oh, Shabon, let's see what Shabon wants. Yeah. Oh, Carolina's coming to me with this problem. How can I help her? Yeah. Oh, she's telling me that she's feeling burnt out. Mm-hmm. Okay. Like I, she's a great employee. I want to keep her. I want to make her happy. Let's just have this conversation. Let's solve this problem. We move forward. Yeah. And so now that person feels heard. Um, and I, I feel like, I don't know. I'm just trying to develop a good culture here. You're adding value to yeah, people. I'm, that's exactly what I'm That's I what do. you're doing. And by serving, you're adding value to people too. So I think that that's, <laughs> that's why I had asked you. I was like, do you go to Voo? Because you have a lot of like, it's like you're studying a culture very similar to what they mm-hmm. have set, which is, you know, we got into this conversation. But it's it's just at the end of the day, you are coming from a mentality of I'm serving people. They're not adding value to me and I'm adding value to them. Well, think about it. Just you saying I'm serving someone. Mm-hmm. It makes you the there's a negative connotation to it. It makes always. you subservient. Yeah. It makes you less than mm-hmm. because you're a service person. Mm-hmm. So what does that mean from society? It means you should be the one being served. Mm-hmm. But through service, there's so much you gain mm-hmm. as an individual. There's no time that I felt more alive than I, when I was in Haiti or Guatemala or Dominican Republic working in an orphanage. Like, man, those times, those things shape me as a human. Yeah. And there was no money. I paid to be there. Yeah. Right. I paid to go on those mission trips or I had to raise money to be there. Yep. Um, I was getting nothing in return. Yeah. Except thank yous and gratitude, which even that I I didn't need. It was just right. those acts. Yeah. Um, That's actually something that I was telling um, Debraska on the podcast episode. She interviewed me um, mm-hmm. and for like my episode. And one of the things that I was telling her is I realized really quickly um, when my ego started getting in the way as a wedding photographer that I started creating a name for myself. And I was starting to get into more of that luxury wedding market. Mm. And people were really recognizing who I was. And my, I have the weirdest last name. I mean, people were like, oh, my God, you're the girl with the weird last name and you're a wedding photographer. So people were recognizing my name. That's when I actually started suffering from anxiety and panic attacks because I started suffering from imposter syndrome at that mm. moment. And um and I, and I look back now and I was like, that's actually what kept me humble because had I not had the anxiety and panic attacks when doing weddings, I probably would have been like, oh, I'm so great. Like I'm creating a name for myself. People are recognizing who I am. And so funny enough, I start suffering from the anxiety and panic attacks as a wedding photographer. I'm calling my wedding off at the same time. I go back to church and I end up start serving on the photo team. And there was something in me that realized that I was being more fulfilled when I was serving on the photo team for free than when I was actually making a profit from a wedding. And I was like, dang, like what is happening? And it was a transformation in my own heart. Like God was transforming my heart through serving people and in me realizing it's not about you. Like this talent and this gift that I'm giving you is not about you. It's about what are you doing to connect with the person in front of your camera? Like what story are you telling in front of the camera? Like, it's not about you creating a name for your own ego. And yeah. so that's where my whole mindset like shifted on serving people. And I was like, okay, this is what it means to serve people and to put people first over me. What's cool is I'm sitting here talking to you and I'm recognizing how much of an impact um, growing up in the church had on me. Mm-hmm. And then I'm also thinking, and again, I'm being so transparent right now. I'm also thinking, damn, am I feeling my daughter? Mm. <laughs> so I'm holding a mirror up to you. There yeah, you go. yeah. Yep. Um, just because 
I know how much it shaped me and my mentality. And I see how the culture that exists right now yep. will suck you up and spit you out. Yep. So if you're not paying attention to what you're consuming constantly yeah. and what you're valuing. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, you have to think about the fact that you're setting the example of what her future husband will be like. Why are you messing with me, man? <laughs> you can't mess with me, man. <laughs> because I'm a daddy's girl and that's exactly yeah. how I see it. And I had daddy issues to address and stuff. Mm -hmm. And it was, you know, it's, those things, I mean, I have a great relationship with my dad despite those daddy issues. I think yeah. everybody has daddy issues, guys included, and they're never really fully addressed. But I think one of the things that I look at is the example, the guys that I was dating are not like what my dad raised me like. Like they weren't, so I was like, where is, where's this like discrepancy? Like why am I going after guys that are not treating me the way that my dad has always treated me, mm -hmm. right? And it was based on my daddy issues that I had with him. And so I think now, like I look at you and I'm like, yeah, you have a daughter, but you are also setting the example for her as to what her future husband should look like. Are you gonna be proud of the man that she marries if this he ends up being like This is part of why you. I stopped going to church, man. Because <laughs> of all these responsibilities and all these moments that I would have and I was like, damn, I'm failing. But it's not so much You're I'm failing. failing. It's just there's just so much to improve, you know? Mm -hmm. um, Failure is formative. Yeah. But it's true. It's true that, and I'm not trying to dodge the subject. Um, it's true that the way I'm building the culture here probably resonates with a lot of churches. Mm -hmm. um, just because I, I am realizing how much it's ingrained you know, yeah. love In your you. neighbor. Mm -hmm. Love your neighbor. Putting people first. Putting exactly love God, love people. Love mm -hmm. God, love people. That's all that was ingrained in me throughout yeah. throughout my life. Yep. And so my love for people stems from that, whether I like it or not. Yep. So although I might be trying to instill the same thing in my daughter, my daughter's not necessarily going to listen to me as her parent. Yeah. Kids oftentimes listen to other people. Yep. So depending on what's surrounding the, her. Exactly. Mm -hmm. What are the other adults in the room? displaying to her as being significant in life yeah <laughs> yep yeah that's the important thing and i think it's like for people like i'm me done and you. i quit <laughs> i'm out i'm out turn this off no, that we've grown up in the church i think um you know we do tend to pull away sometimes because we see things in churches mm. that we don't like there's flaws in everything yeah so there's flaws in yeah Every aspect of life, there's flaws. There's we're, no perfect it's workplace. It's made by humans, and at the end of the day, we're not perfect. We're not perfect. We're a bunch of screw-ups. Yeah. Recognize that. Yeah. But at least you know that she's going to get a different kind of influence around other type of people. There's an accountability there that isn't really out there in like society, you know? And the kind of accountability that you're going to get from society and the culture out there is going to be completely different from what you're going to get sometimes that from the people at church. Here's a moment of silence. <laughs> <laughs> silence is okay. I'm just having a moment. That's all. Um, yeah, you got me there. <laughs> Let me just talk about like one or two more things. Actually, now that we're talking about church, I guess some issues that a lot of people. And again, you're not a spokesperson for the, a spokesperson for the church, but these are just questions and that often my come church up. may not be the church for you, and that's okay. Like yeah. I think that that's something that like I want people to also just because that church has worked for me doesn't mean that it's like the perfect church, and I want everybody to go there. Like there's a church for everybody. Mm -hmm. That's I think for me, it's more about just get yourself plugged into a community, especially if you have a relationship with God and you really want to like strengthen it more. It's a lot easier when you are around other people that have that same kind of like mindset that you have about it so what you're doing right now mm -hmm. right by expressing your faith mm -hmm. 
is a form of ministry. It is. Right? A lot of people tend to steer away from church or church people mm -hmm. because they try to preach mm -hmm. and they try to shove the Bible down their throat. Mm -hmm. How do you feel? How do you feel about that style of ministry? I don't like it at all because that's what made me pull away to begin with. And like, I'll talk about my relationship with God, but I'm not going to enforce it on you. Like, I'll tell you, this is what has worked for me. And this is what has helped me. And my relationship with God has helped me in overcoming all these things. And me stepping into my purpose and stepping into my calling is because I have a strong relationship with God. And it's allowing me to really see myself the way that God created me to be. Like I'm finding my identity not in the titles and the accolades that I have and the things that I've done for myself, but in who God has called me to be and who he created me to be. And so, but that is not your journey. Everybody's journey is different. And I've had girlfriends that have come to the church because of me, because I've encouraged them, but I don't try to enforce it on them. And I don't try to tell them, this is how you need to do it. And it's steps one, two, three, and four. Like, it, it's not like that. It's a personal encounter with God at the end of the day. And I think that that's what people forget. Sometimes we tend to look back at just rules and regulations. And it's like, no, that's not how it should be. It should be just your own personal thing. And that's how it's been for me. So um, I don't ever want to come off as like me shoving a Bible down your throat because that's not it at all. Like I know what it's like to be in those shoes of getting mm -hmm. the Bible shoved down your throat for so long that you end up rejecting it, resenting it and rejecting it. So you end up just like running away from it. Yeah. That doesn't help anybody. It's just like with anything else. The more you tell somebody, I want you to do this this way. And like, you know, they might be a little rebellious and they end up like rejecting and resenting you for it. It happens in your own relationship with your significant other. I, I remember once I was going to, um, what's the name of this? Um, it's Salsa Club that used to be behind the American Airlines Arena. Just, I never remember? went to a club, so I don't it know. It was owned by Gloria <laughs> Stefan. What is it? Bongos. bongos. I was going to Bongos after. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was called Bongos. Uh -huh. And so I was going to go to Bongos. And it was after we were like in a young adults meeting. We were like 22, 23. And my good friend Hector Mesa, I'm putting you out there. <laughs> I remember he leans into me and he's like, you're going to go walk amongst the living dead. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And I'll never forget that. I was like, yo, Hector, I'm going to go dance salsa. Like, I'm not trying. Yeah. There's no living dead. But I just thought it was funny because he was... He had a heavy hand, right? Yeah. And he was a strong, a Bible thumper, right? Yeah. And I love this guy. This guy's funny. And he's been through a lot of life. And I know he's grown. And we just met up recently. Yeah. Um, but it was funny how those things really, like, impact you. Because you're like, yo, am I doing something wrong? Right. Like, what? oh, am I not supposed to do this? Right. And so there was a lot of things that were going on where people were questioning things that were part of my culture. Right. And so that, I remember that steering me the wrong way. and Just Absolutely. feeling like wait, I, I don't, this isn't cynical. This isn't the sinful. Thing, this is just cultural. Yeah. The thing is, I think people think that just because you are a Christian or you believe in God that you can't have fun. And I'm like, where, what? Like, no, like, are you kidding me? The Bible even talks about how Jesus turned water into wine, like <laughs> at a wedding, you know what I mean? Like, and it's like, clearly he's, he, you can have fun. Can it's he turn just... water into tequila? Cause I don't like wine. <laughs> oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> Um, but I think it's just one of those things where it's like you, we can't get legalistic about it. Like, yeah. that's really what it comes down to. Like, you are allowed to have fun. You are allowed to like go to concerts. You are allowed to like listen to music that's on the radio, you know, as long as it's just not influencing you and in the way that you view your relationship with God, I think that there's no harm in it, but I get it. Bible thumpers. Yeah. I, you run away from them. I'm not going to lie. I remember when I was in church, I would listen to music much differently. Mm -hmm. Um, I would hear lyrics and just be like, oh, turned off by it. 
oh, wow, this is trying to steer me the wrong way or this is influencing me in a way that I'm not realizing it. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is coming from a kid who at 10 years old convinced his grandmother at Sam Goody to buy him Dr. Dre's The Chronic <laughs> Album of Snoop Dogg's Doggy Style. I was 10, God forbid. If my daughter's 10 years old listening to those albums, I'll be, <laughs> I'll lose it. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's it's it's, it's just interesting Um the different things that come up within the church and when people mm-hmm. are trying to shove the Bible down your throat. And again, you're not, you're not doing that at all. You're ministering yeah. to me through conversation. Right. All right. Just right. through simple conversation. Yeah. And I think that's the other thing. Like, I feel like so many people think that to be in ministry, you have to work for a church, but no, like we all have our ministry at like outside of the church. We are meant to be a church. The church is meant to be the church outside of the four walls of a building. Like that's really what we're meant to be. So I'm like, I'd hope that whenever I go somewhere, people see something different in me and they're like, there's something different about her. And it's like, yeah, I want to stand out from the people of the world, but I don't want it to come off as in a holier than thou type of way yeah. either. Like, it's like, I still crack jokes with you and I'll have fun with you. And, I, you know, we'll like have just a good time. But it's like, oh, but there is something different about her. And so that is my ministry is going with me wherever I go. So I don't have to work for a specific place or anything like that to actually be in ministry. Yeah, I think um, I just think. I never, so if patients come to me and they don't have a community, Mm -hmm. like I always give them church as an option. Mm -hmm. Like, and I'm not in the church, uh, but I I definitely tell them like, hey, there's something, if you're feeling like lonely, you're in a dark place, you don't have a sense of community. A common question that I ask so many people is, where does your your support come from? So if you're having a a crappy day, who do you go to for help? Yeah. I want to say that of the depressed patients that, uh, patients that were suffering from depression that I would see, so many of them would say no one. Mm-hmm. I go home to nothing. I yeah. go home to my TV. I lock my door. Yeah, I and go this to Netflix. Isolation is the worst. Yeah, yeah. So, so many people are lacking the sense of community mm-hmm. where they're not engaged. Mm-hmm. People don't have relationships with their neighbors. Mm-hmm. Um, families aren't connected how they were when, when they lived in Latin America. No. Some people are immigrants and are coming here by themselves and just trying to figure out their way here. Yeah. And all of a sudden, finding the same thing like they knock on their neighbor's door and the neighbor. Is, weirded out by them like right. what are you doing here right like yeah you live next door to me but stay over there i mean people barely have dinner with their families at home nowadays like yeah. you they don't like that whole thing of sitting at a dining table and actually having dinner with your family when was the last time you had dinner with your family like that thanksgiving thanksgiving that's probably it thanksgiving and that was even scattered because there was so many people yeah there were exactly. so many people so there. when do you actually sit and have quality conversations with your own family I gotta. I'm gonna interview my grandmother today after we leave here. Imagine, but that like, but that's, that's you sad. being intentional about yeah. it, right? But like, when like it used to be a common thing of sitting down and actually having dinner, not in front of a TV and not with your cell phones in like on the side, like as a side dish, mm-hmm. pretty much. And like people don't do that anymore, so they, we've lost that ability to communicate with each other and actually really connect. And that's where these kind of conversations happen. Like, there's. It's sad for me, like as a uh, daughter of immigrants, like I know my whole entire parents story as to why they came to the United States fleeing a war in Nicaragua and like all these things. Right. I know their history. I know their background. I know my grandparents history and all of that. But if you were to ask your daughter, does she know the history of your family? We've lost that. Like Mm -hmm. the, the younger generation no longer cares to know about their family's history because we don't have those kind of conversations over dinner anymore. How do you think that it, how do you think that's going to affect us as a people moving forward? 
Oh, it affects us tremendously because it's like people just don't know anything about their roots anymore. They don't know anything about who they are, which is why there's also such a hard um, disconnect with their identity. They don't know where they come from. They don't like their identity is all over the place. So they're letting the world influence who their identity, like what their identity. They're letting the world tell them who they are when it's like, no, like learn about your family's history. So you also know where all of these come from. And even things that are being passed down from generations to generations that you might need to be the person that says it ends with me. That's funny. I just uh, spoke at Amrit Bank last week. Um, and the first, one of the things I had them do was a genogram. Mm -hmm. And a genogram is basically a, a map of your family and what that tree looks like. And I was like, don't worry about medical issues, but let's look at divorce mm -hmm. let's look at drug use mm -hmm. let's look at incarceration let's look at mental illness let's look at financial issues let's look at yeah. gambling let's look at um any sorts of drug use uh or just um uh let's look at severance from the family and why that was severed right um because these exist in every family tree that you draw right right we all have that crazy uncle we all have that yeah. um that person who is now estranged from the family for whatever reasons right um it goes back to what I was telling you in regards to the divorce thing, the family dynamics, because um, when you hear of people that say my parents have been divorced X amount of or like my dad has been divorced X amount of times and my mom has been divorced X amount of times, there's something wrong there. Mm -hmm. And it's probably passed down from even grandparents. And then you're probably going to be prone to getting a divorce at some point or another mm -hmm. because you're not addressing those yeah. things. So it's important to really know, like, your family's history. Yeah, when I had them do that assignment, the conversations that started, and mind you, this is at a bank. Yeah. Um, these are all coworkers at a bank, and they're all just saying, oh, no, divorce is a major issue. Mm -hmm. um, alcoholism runs mm -hmm. all over the side of my family. Anxiety, and I'm also suffering from anxiety. Mm -hmm. So it was just so interesting how they were seeing how that familial pattern was affecting them or right. how it affected them from their childhood and how it still impacts them today and how they you know, raise their children right. or how they have carried out their marriage, et cetera. So yeah. it's important to know those things. Yeah. That's why I really appreciated the fact that we did a series on daddy issues because it's like I was telling you earlier, like I feel like I knew my daddy issues. Mm -hmm. I knew where they stemmed from. I knew that part of my daddy issues were creating a sense of this very like strong feminist in me. And I got to the point where that's also why I called my wedding off because I was like, I don't want to be this girl. I don't want to be the girl that like takes – like the control and the full reins of a home. Like that's, I was exhausted of being that girl. Mm. And, um, and so that's a whole topic for another day. Right. But like, I was like, why am I such a hardcore feminist like this? And I was like, well, it's probably because of this that happened with my dad. And it led me to say, I don't want to depend on a man and I don't want to, so I'm going to be independent. And I grew up being very like, I'm going to do it on my own. I'm not going to ask for help. I'm not going to let a guy like tell me what to do because of that. And I'm like, Okay, I have to address that and heal from that. And so wait, what's the so some women are listening to this and say, yeah. what's the problem with that? I am independent. I want to be strong. I don't want to depend on a man. I can make my own money. I don't need him. <laughs> I don't need him. And that's fine. It works for them. If that works for them, that's fine. But is it work? Is it that you're wanting to be like that because you want to be like that, or because you also have daddy issues that you haven't addressed and you have? like traumas that you haven't addressed and haven't healed from. And it's just a way of you kind of saying like, I'm going to be this person because I don't want to address that because it hurts too much to address that because that's who I was. And I got exhausted of being that. And it got to a point where in my 30s, I was like, am I always going to be single because I can't take a guy who actually wants to provide for me? And I actually I can't receive that because I don't know how to. And I'm like, this is who my dad has always been. But it was this once. 
thing that happened with my dad that made me shift my whole perspective on what I wanted in a relationship. And then I found myself in almost marrying a person that I was like, this, I'm exhausted. This isn't what I want to be. Like, this is not who I want to be at all. Like, I actually want to step more into my femininity and let a guy be the one that leads. And it took me a really long time to get there. It took me serving at church and seeing the guys that were leading me and how they were speaking to me and how they were speaking kindly to me and pouring into me and pulling out the gold in me that I was like, that's more of what I want. I want a husband that's going to talk to me that way. I don't want a husband that's just going to sit there and like not be that person that leads. And so that's where the whole like church thing also comes from. Like most of the guys that you know, submit to God, well, you can actually kind of submit to. And I always say submit and like, a, because you hear the word submit and girls run from it. They're like, I don't want to submit to anybody. But it goes back to a, something that I posted on my Instagram. Women don't want to submit to their husbands, but they'll submit to a boss. Eesh. So it's like, okay, so you don't want to submit to your husband at home, but you're submitting to a boss at work for from nine to five. And you can't leave your job if you have to go pick up your kids because you have to submit to that boss. But it's like, but you rather do that than not to su not submit to your husband. Like, uh, there's something off about that. So. But it, it's again, it's all these society. It, it's it's these words that we use at church, of course, that have this uh, a negative connotation to the rest of society. Uh, whether absolutely. it's serving, um, whether it's submission, it's abused. It's been whether abused. it's forgiveness. Mm -hmm. Forgiveness comes with weakness. Mm -hmm. oh, I'm gonna forgive. I'm better off holding a grudge. Mm -hmm. Ready? Are you? are you mm -hmm. but so many people do it forgive if you don't forgive you're actually drinking poison that affects you it doesn't affect the other person yeah. at the no, end of the day if you and i get into a heated argument today yeah. and i'm so pissed off at you we walk away we're in a separate path and every time i think of you i just think Ugh, mm -hmm. this i can't stand andrea she's i can't believe she did that to me yeah you don't let go of that poison, that anger, that resentment, that irritability is just going to consume you. Yeah. It's not affecting me. It's affecting you. Yeah. I just walk away and I'm like, that's on you. Yeah. And if I just let it go, yeah. damn, I can carry on with my life. Yep. And I'll see Andrea again and we probably won't even remember what we argued about. Yep. Yeah. But it, it, I, it's words that have been abused. And so that's why people mm. are like, they hear the word submission. Like women are like, oh, yeah. Whatever. Yeah. So it's a whole topic that yeah. I am obviously very passionate about, as yeah. you've seen on my Instagram. Yeah. But yeah. Oh, no, that's awesome. Well, I think we'll wrap it up here. Yeah. Um, before we do, I want to give a shout out to Voo Church. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. I want to give a shout out to Breaking Bread <laughs> Podcast. Where can people find you? Um, um, on Instagram, for sure. That's probably where you're, where you're going to like be able to hear my whole story. So um, Andrea underscore underscore Arostegui. And so for those that need the spelling, we'll I'm put sure it you up will on the tag screen, it. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then the Breaking Bread podcast. It's also the Breaking Bread um, underscore podcast. And so, yeah, it's been it's been fun. It's been a good journey so far, like three episodes in. But, um, you know, it'll be a good time. Awesome. Anything anything that you want to share before we go? Honestly, I like thank you for like doing this because I think it goes back to like sometimes I don't recognize my own growth. And it's like even in like being able to have this conversation with somebody that I literally just connected on Instagram. I had never met you before. Yeah. But um, more than anything, it's kind of like to honor you and say like you have created a safe space. And I hope that you realize that and that there is something special about the way that you like let somebody feel really comfortable to open up to you, especially somebody that you really had never met. And so um, I don't know. I think, you know, God's doing something through this and in you, too. And I think that 
there was a curiosity that kicked in for a reason. And I just needed to sit here in the hot seat and have this one on one with you for a cool. reason. And I think that something great's going to come out of it. So. Thank you, Andrea. And I look forward to seeing how you grow too, just yeah. with, with the podcast and life. Yeah. Um, and in everything. So yeah. thanks for being here. Appreciate it. No problem. <laughs> take care of yourself, right? <laughs> bueno. That's a wrap, people. We're out. <laughs>